together. Thank you for tuning in this morning. My name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of my message is Four Things That Happen While We Wait. Uh, let me dive straight into it. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says this. He says that God is not slow like people may think he is. That he's not slow. Now, has anyone here thought to themselves, God, what is taking so long? Come on, raise your hand at me. What is taking so long? Now, in John chapter 5, verse 17, it says that he is always working. So if he's always working and he is not slow, what is going on while we're waiting? Well, we're going to dive into the scriptures and we're going to look at four different characters that were in a season of waiting. And we're going to notice what God was doing while they were waiting. And we're going to pull the marrow out of the scriptures and apply those truths to our life. The first person I want to talk about is Moses. In Moses, uh, I'm sorry, not in Moses, um, in, in, in Genesis chapter 33, Verse 13, he says this. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways. Everybody say, know your ways on three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Look at the person next to you and say, you didn't participate. Now we have to do it all over again. All right. One, two, three. There you go. You sound good this morning. Let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. I want to know your ways. And so God invited him to a mountaintop. Now, at, the, at that time period in Exodus chapter 33, during that time period, he was pastoring. He was pastoring a million people out in the wilderness. And so Moses looks over at Aaron, his assistant pastor, and said, I'm going to go talk with the Lord on that mountain. I'm leaving you in charge. So he goes up the mountain and he begins to talk with the Lord. And he was up there for a long time. While the Lord was talking with him and sharing his ways. See, when you learn the ways of God, you know what he wants to do. And you also know what he wants you to do. Have you ever said, God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? That's the ways of God. The ways of God are discovered while you're waiting. We don't like the waiting period, but it's during the waiting period that we discover the ways of God. Now, all of a sudden, while God was talking to Moses, he looks at him and says, you need to get down the mountain. Things are going crazy down there. So he starts walking down the mountain and he gets about halfway down and he notices that Aaron has let the church get out of control. There was a golden calf and they were dancing around the golden calf naked, worshiping the calf. He comes down and he looks at Aaron and he goes, what in the world is going on? 
And Aaron said something that to this day, I'm going to have to talk to Aaron when I get to heaven because I don't know what possessed him to say what he said. He goes, I don't know what's going on. I took a bunch of jewelry and I threw it in the fire and poof, out came a calf. And everybody started worshiping it. At what point did he think that that story was going to fly? At some point he thought Moses was going to go, oh, my bad. Sorry about that. I didn't know that it just popped up out of the ground. So Aaron did not have this steadfast mentality, this, this I'm going to dig my heels in the ground and, and I'm going to wait on God. Moses did. And the difference between the two is that, that Aaron began to self-sabotage. When you're in a season of waiting, if you're not careful, you'll go down a spiral of depression. You'll go down a spiral of feeling like God's not with you. Not realizing that it's during that season of waiting where you and I have the opportunity to learn his ways. I'm not saying that it's enjoyable to wait. To be candid, I can't stand waiting. When I see a red light, I go, Jesus, why? I, I, I can't stand waiting. But we have opportunities during the waiting season that we don't have while we're celebrating. During the good seasons and we're celebrating God's goodness. It's during the waiting seasons. The second person I want to talk about is Job. In Job chapter 1, God is sitting on the throne. And all of a sudden, Satan comes walking into the throne room. And he looks at Satan and he says, where have you been? And Satan said, I've been walking back and forth on the earth. And he says back to him, he says, have you noticed my servant Job? He's faithful. He's loyal. He has a fear of God. Have you noticed him? And Satan said, yes, I have noticed him. But the only reason why he's faithful is because you have a wall of protection around him. So everything he does is blessed. You have a, protect, a wall of protection around his family, a wall of protection around his home. Of course he honors you because everything he does, he prospers. And then he says this, but if you remove that wall and let me torment him, then he will curse you to your face. And so God said, all right, I'll lift up the wall. And he goes, but you can do anything you want, but don't kill him. And so Satan came in and started killing the most significant people in the world to him. He wanted to create hell on earth. It's very interesting that his goal was to create hell. And he left his wife alive. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. All right, so, so just moving right along. Um, <laughs> so everything's falling apart. Now notice what's happening while everything is falling apart. God is looking at him to see if he will remain faithful during troubled times. Satan is looking at him to find out if he will remain faithful. Job's wife 
is looking at him to find out if he'll remain faithful. Job's friends are looking. Make no mistake about it. When you and I go through tough seasons where we don't know exactly what God is doing and we are in a season of uncertainty, make no mistake, God is watching. Satan is watching. Satan wants to say, see, I told you he wouldn't be faithful. I told you. And God wants to say, I told you he would be faithful. And then all of a sudden, we start looking around. We realize that our spouse is looking at us to see How are you going to respond? Our friends are looking at us. How are you going to respond? If you have friends that are not saved like I do, they don't really pay attention to me while things are going well. But when things get hard, they kind of look around to see how I'm going to respond. It's during the tough seasons where everybody wants to know, how are you going to respond now? I'll never, ever forget. I was about 15 or 16 years old, and my dad called me. He said, Frankie, come over here. And I, you know, I lived and, and breathed basketball. And so I, I came in. I was all sweaty. He said, hey, come here. I want to show you something. He had a, a white envelope. I'll never forget it. He took the envelope, and, and he opened it up, and he says, I, I want to show you something. And he showed me $100. And he says, this is all the money I have. This is our checking account. This is our savings account. This is all I've got. My father was an evangelist. And through a series of events, he had no dates on the calendar. If he had no dates on the calendar, if he couldn't go preach for churches, we had no income. And so he had $100. My parents had went through a divorce in the denomination that we were in. Churches couldn't preach people who went through a divorce. And so my dad was now unemployed. And he had $100. He goes, I'm calling you back here and I want you to look at this $100. Because I want you to watch what God is about to do. He took the $100 and he put it back into the envelope. About two weeks later, he called me back and he had another $100 and he put it in the envelope. About a month or so later, I remember, I can't remember the number, it was probably like five or six hundred. Then about six months later, we, 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 had some, we had a comma in it. I remember that being a big deal. We had like $1,100 or $1,500. Our entire savings, our entire checking account, it was everything. By the end of the year, the envelope had gotten so stuffed with cash that we had to move it to a shoebox. And he put the shoebox inside of the closet, and I always loved it when he would look out the window and see me playing basketball and say, Yo, Frankie! That's what he called. Yo, Frankie! And I'd look up, and he'd go, Come here, come here. I'd come running in there, and he goes, I got another $100. And he put it in there. The shoebox was full of cash. And I'll never forget God coming through. That shoebox was full of cash, and then my dad got remarried, and it went down to nothing in a week. (laughs) Down to nothing. But I will never, ever, ever forget. I'll never forget. God coming through in the area of finances. I'll never forget God coming through when we had nowhere else to turn. This this is what happens 
when you begin to go into a season of wait, your children start looking at you. Your friends start looking at you. Satan and God have a conversation going on. One is believing you will and the other one is believing you won't. So the first thing in summary is when you are in a season of waiting, if you take advantage of the opportunity, you will discover the ways of God. In a season of waiting, number two, if you stay steady, you will prove your faithfulness. Number three, the disciples... Jesus looked at the disciples and he said this in Acts chapter 40, uh, 24, verse 49. Behold, I send upon you the promise of the Father. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you are endowed with power. That's a huge statement because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, When the Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, Oh, I pray that you would have the power to accomplish what your faith is compelling you to do. Have you ever been compelled to pray for somebody, but you didn't know if there would be any power there? There's a difference between believing that God can and actually seeing God do it. This is why Paul said to the Romans in chapter 1 verse 11, he goes, I long to visit you that I may impart a gift to you that will help you grow strong in the Lord. See, there are gifts in the Holy Spirit that cause you to shift from merely believing to actually seeing. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? Come on, put your hands together. And so the disciples had to wait in the upper room, but they weren't waiting like you and I may interpret waiting. They were Actively waiting. See, there's waiting where you kind of stand around going, God, are you going to come through? Oh my goodness, what's going on? And then there's actively waiting. Actively waiting is until you move, I'm going to worship you. Until you move, I'm going to praise you. See, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about any, anything, but pray about everything. What are you supposed to pray about? I didn't hear you. What are you supposed to pray about? So don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And then there's this, this third part and praise him for everything he has already done. And so they're in the upper room and they're following that three-step cycle while they're waiting. They're actively waiting. They're saying, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to pray about everything. God, you told me to come to Jerusalem and wait and we don't even know what we're waiting for. Have you ever wanted a season to change and you have no idea how it's going to happen? You have no idea how it's going to happen. So this woman, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to pray about everything and I'm going to praise you and thank you for everything that you've done. Why is it necessary to praise him for things that he's already done? God does not have a short memory. We do. 
We have a short memory, and the more we rehearse his greatness, the more our faith begins to rise. When we begin to look at what he has done, we have faith for what he's going to do. When you stop celebrating the miracles in the past, you stop seeing the miracles in the present. We can, I'll tell you, one of my favorite things to do is get on YouTube and watch preachers who moved in healing and miracles 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago. Because the more I watch them, the more I believe. The more I watch them, the higher my faith gets. And then I can't wait to come to church on Sunday because I have the same God they did. And in Romans chapter 2 verse 11, it says that God has no favorites. So if they went for it, if they took the risk, I'm going to take, I'm going to go for it and take the risk. Why not? Are you with me? Put your hands together on that. So what happens during a season of waiting? An endowment of power is available. What is an endowment of power? Is it healing? Is it miracles? Yes, but way more. An endowment of power is the ability to make an atomic impact on someone's life. Some of the people that have made the greatest impact of my life was sitting down with them over a cup of coffee, and as they talked, my heart burned. John Wesley said this. He goes, if a man will light himself on fire with passion, people will come from miles to watch him burn. People will come from miles to watch him burn. This is an endowment of power. There was a lady by the name of Jenny Evans Moore. Back in 1905, she was praying in a room with 12 or 13 other people. She fell to the ground because she was worshiping so passionately. And then she stood up and walked over to the piano and began to play the piano and to sing. And everybody in the room just looked at her completely shocked. Why? Because she had never played the piano before. She had never sang before. This is an endowment of power and it comes in so many different ways. Sometimes an endowment of power will come and you'll begin to see healings and miracles. Other people, when they sing People get healed. Other people, when they sit down and talk to a person who has a heart of stone, Ezekiel 36, 26, they begin to get a new spirit and a new heart. Other people can try to get them saved and nothing happens. It's like talking to a wall. But when you sit down with an endowment of power, Hebrews 4, 12, it pierces between the bone and the marrow the soul and the spirit, convicting the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What's the difference? An endowment of power. We cannot learn to live without an endowment of power and emphasize our gifts and talents and charisma in place of an endowment of power. We have become too good at replacing God with our gifts, and then we live frustrated lives. Are you with me? Say yes. So the last person I want to talk about is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had this conversion on the road to Damascus. He was uh, an evil man. And then he met Jesus. One moment in the Lord's presence will change your entire life. If you need your life to change, tell the Lord, I need a moment in your presence 
And so his entire life changed and he, his whole vision for his life changed. His whole reason for living changed. In Acts 20 verse 21, he says, my life means nothing to me. If only to finish the race and complete the task of testifying of the gospel of good news. It means nothing to me. What in the world? So now he is passionate. He's on fire for God. He wants to tell people. And then all of a sudden God tells him, go to the desert of Arabia and just stay there. He goes to the desert of Arabia. Why? Because when Jesus was walking on the earth for three years doing miracles and teaching people parables. Paul was also walking the earth, but he was causing a ruckus and living in sin. And he was right down the street from God doing a miracle and signs and wonders. And he missed the whole thing because he was so distracted with his own selfish desires. And so Jesus said, come to the desert of Arabia and I'm going to catch you up. Know this, if you have wasted years of your life like I have, the Lord will pull you aside in a season of waiting and catch you up. See, he was not in the last supper that Jesus had with the disciples. Why? Because he was out living in sin. And so Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared his last supper with the disciples. How did he know what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed? How did he know? He wasn't there. Jesus caught him up. He caught him up. During a season of waiting, Jesus will not only catch you up, but he will equip you and your relationship with him becomes closer than it's ever been before. Don't get me wrong. I do not like waiting. I've already said it. I hate waiting. But the opportunities that come during the wait do not come at any other time. It doesn't come any other way. D.L. Moody said that the anointing is not so cheap that you can receive it without investing time. It's not that cheap. It is not that cheap. Just because you believe that God can move miraculously does not mean that you're going to see him move miraculously. Satan knows that he can move miraculously. That's a huge difference. There is an anointing available for you and for me. And what I love about his anointing is that it's bottomless. It's like going to a Mexican restaurant and asking for chips. It's bottomless. There's just, you can't. You cannot, you cannot get enough. There are layers and layers and layers. And whatever you have experienced with God, God has so much more. He has so much more, but it's in those seasons of waiting when we have nothing else to do except to lean on him. You have nothing else to do except to worship him. Some of you in this room have stories just like my father and I, my father and I's story had to do with finances where he came through when nothing else would work. What's your story? I know you have them. If you're older than seven, you have them. 
This world is a tough place to live. Some of you have almost died, and it's a miracle that you're still alive. Aside, raise your hand if I'm talking to you. My hand is up. Go ahead, raise your hand. You almost died. Some of you, your miracle is sitting right next to you because there is no reason that person should have fell in love with you. No reason. Hear me say this. It's during the season of waiting that you discover his ways. It's during the season of waiting where you prove your faithfulness. It's during the season of waiting where an endowment of power is available. It's during the season of waiting where your relationship shifts from servant to friend. Is there anyone here, is there at least three people here that is looking forward to capitalizing on this season that we may be in? Put your hands together if you're with me. Come on, put your hands together if you're with me. I spoke earlier about uh, how an unsaved person being around some people are unmoved. There are some Christians, they can talk about God for 10 hours and a non-Christian is unmoved. But then there's another person that comes walking in the room and they've been touched in a unique way. And in a moment, they begin to believe. The testimony that you're about to see is somebody that got healed in their house. And the gentleman that you're gonna see was unsaved before he got healed. Unsaved before he got healed. And it was the lady of the house that said, I believe God's going to heal you. I hope this encourages you. When I woke up, I heard go pray for Carlos's knees. And uh, I doubted it for a minute. And and I was like, I'm going to go pray for him. So I asked my husband to come with me to pray for Carlos's knees. At the time when she asked me, can I pray for you? I was just like, go ahead. Like, you know, I'm not going to stop you. Go ahead. You know, I'm not going to say no to a prayer. And sure enough, I went downstairs and she prayed for me. And she told me, get up, move around, uh, make it hurt. And sure enough, I got up and I couldn't feel no pain. And I was like, all right, I'm healed. I'm I, I believe that I'm healed. And so at that time, um, my, my cousins, my family that were there, they're asking me, you know, are you, are you truly healed? Are you, um, do you believe that you're healed? Like, yeah, I believe, I, 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 feel, I felt the power of Jesus healing me. So at that time, uh, I started cooking before my job. And when I was cooking, I got this sharp pain to, to the back of my knee and uh, Crystal, I didn't say nothing to, to Crystal, but she came to me with anointing oil. She anointed my knees. As soon as she touched my knees, that pain was gone. And any doubt that I had at that point was out the window. That, when I was like, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I believe that I've been healed. I'm going to church. The healing is real. So, and I, I went uh, jogging. Before my jogging, Crystal told me, you know what, don't wear your knee braces. Because I was wearing knee braces. She said, don't wear none of your knee braces. Run. Uh, do your two miles, whatever you're going to do. So I usually do one mile, but I pushed it two miles. You know, I made it all the way to two miles. I came back home, and, you know, I, I was 
healed. I, I believed I was healed and I went to church and now God is real. The healing, the power of Jesus, it, it's real. It is. Oh, man. Right here, I was running the two miles. <laughs> oh, man. Right here, I was just, I believed it. I believed that I was healed. I had no pain. I, I had relief. You know. I have one more point I want to share with you. We're all living in 2020. Life has been nothing short of crazy, for lack of a better word. But there's this old song I grew up with. Many of you guys know it. I would sing it, but I, want, I don't want to mess up the service. There's something good going on here. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And then this is my favorite part. Then the things of this world will become strangely dim. When we experience his presence, everything in the world becomes dim. When the things of this world are dominating our attention, it's his face that becomes dim. But we're always one decision away from shifting where our attention is. It's how loving he is. In Psalms 130, verse 7, it says, Keep hoping. Keep trusting. Keep waiting. For at just the right time, our God who is trustworthy, kind, and forgiving will fulfill his promises. For he has a thousand ways to set you free. Our only job is to put our eyes on him. That's it. Why don't you stand up on your feet for me, please? I'd like our prayer partners to come down if they would. Is there anyone here, you're deaf in your right ear, have you lost hearing in your right ear? Anyone in this room? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Anyone? You've lost hearing? Come over here. I want to pray for you. I feel like God wants to heal you. And also, anyone with diabetes? I feel like God wants to heal someone with diabetes. If nobody has diabetes, then I'm talking to myself. But if somebody raises their hand, that means, come here. If somebody raises their hand, uh, come on over here. If you're new here, let me explain to you what's happening. This is, this is called a word of knowledge. It's a, it's a new gift that the Lord gave me about two years ago. A word of knowledge is when you, 
God whispers what he wants to do. Sometimes I think God's talking to me and he's not, and it's just me talking to me. About 30% of the time, it's me talking to me. And I know that because nobody raises their hand. But if someone raises their hand and it's in that 70%, that means the Lord just told me who he wants to heal. The reason why we play videos every single Sunday of people who have been healed is because people get healed every single Sunday. You come next week, you'll see another testimony. You come a week after that, you'll see another testimony. Does everybody we pray for get healed? No. But because we pray for so many people and believe for healing, we see so many healings. And right down here, these people are going to be healed. Now, here's the thing. I don't want you to say to yourself, well, he didn't call out my ailment, what I'm struggling with. So I guess it's not my day. More miracles happen with these prayer partners than with me. When I go out and speak now, I always bring the prayer partners because I know that the greatest things can happen if we have a team. So I want you to come down here and let them pray for you. And if your heart is not right with God, and only you know that, come down and let someone pray for you. Psalms 56, 9, the very day you call from help, the tide of the battle turns. Why don't you come out of your seat right now and take the hand of a prayer partner and let them pray with you. Before anyone leaves, let's sing this song one time through or two times through, and then you're dismissed. I love you all so much. I'll see you next Sunday.